memories? My, my, primary, my primary memory from kindergarten is two things. One, we had nap time. That was only a half day. And second thing, I think I won an award. I was the best horse galloper in the class. So whatever that means. So I, I don't know why I remember that. I can't remember the name of my teacher, though. Um, hey, a couple things. Uh, we actually found a projector in their office and just switched projectors. So thanks, Boys and Girls Club, for letting us use your projector. I think we think our bulb burned out, but that's okay. All right, a um, couple things. Go to the next slide. Uh, so this is kind of what's happening up in the future here. So it maybe looks kind of complicated, but it's in your purple sheet too. Um, the next few Sundays, we're still meeting here up till the 27th. Um, September 3rd and September 10th, we're going to be meeting at Tri-North Middle School, which if you know where that is, is on the north, obviously north part of Bloomington. Uh, let me highlight one thing. It's 6 p.m. on September 3rd. That's the weekend of Labor Day. Uh, not exactly sure all that's going to look like, but we're ha that night we're going to be meeting in the gymnasium at Tri-North, and it's uh, what we're calling it now is what I'm calling it now. It's going to be a night of joy. It's going to be, um, uh, think of feasting and celebrating. We may, we're gonna, it's going to be somehow, I'll talk more about it later, somehow centered on the goodness of God, but it's, it's more going to be, I've looked, in, I've looked into catering and having a big feast, and we're inviting people from the Crestmont neighborhood to come. It's just down the road from them. So... I'm motivated by the passage in Nehemiah where Nehemiah tells the people to use their tithe money and have a huge feast with rich foods and sweet drinks. And then he says, and invite those who can't afford it otherwise. So uh, it's the night before a holiday, so we figure not, nobody has a whole lot going on. And uh, so it'll be, the hope it's in, in the plan, it's going to be a really festive time. So plan on being here then. But then the next Sunday, we're in the auditorium at Tri-North, and then finally on the 17th, if the construction all goes well with the Crestmont Club, we start meeting in there on Sunday morning. So um, it's kind of a roadmap you might need in the next few weeks. We'll be hearing more, and hopefully we'll try to make it all clear. So um, times of transition can be fun. Times of transmission can be kind of stressful, but we're hoping to make it more fun and not stressful. So um, let me pray, and then we'll look at the God's Word this morning. God, what an uh, appropriate reminder this morning that uh, we only need you. We don't need technology. We don't even need a building. We don't need all kinds of things we think we need to succeed in doing church, let alone all the things we think we need to be successful in doing life. But ultimately, all we need is your Holy Spirit. And so we pray that as we look in your word this morning, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. So whether we've been at church for years and years, or whether somebody's this is their first time or second time, whether we're young or old, pray that you would speak to us and show us what you want us to see, or speak to us what you want us to hear. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, I don't know how many people heard Jeopardy fans, uh, but I actually... <laughs> found out some final Jeopardy questions that have been asked that have to do with the Bible. Who's a Jeopardy? Anybody, anybody into Jeopardy? Like, you don't call my wife's parents during Jeopardy. They don't, they don't talk real quickly. They hang up. They want to. So here's some final Jeopardy questions. That's the last question. That's where all the money's on the line that have to do with the Bible. All right, let's just go at them. Okay, first one. This one appeared March 13th, 2017. The, the, the category was Biblical Who's Who, and here is, as they say it, the answer is 
Among the places he visited on his second missionary journey were Galatia and Corinth. So the question is, who is Paul? All right. Next one. This one appeared this year again, February 13th. Topic is books of the Bible. The answer is, go, it begins with God saying, quote, take ye the sum of all the congregation of the children of Israel, end quote. What book of the Bible are they talking about? I, I didn't know this had, uh, out of hand. No, that's a good guess. That's what I read. Actually, most of the people who played that night guessed that. The answer is, what is the book of Numbers? This book of Numbers starts off that. All right, next one. There's four of them in all. This is events in the Bible. This is again from, this was from a number of years ago, June 11, 2012. Here's the answer. The answer is Acts 1.13 says this event occurred in, quote, an upper room. And the money's on the line here, people. Money's on the line. So here's what's interesting about this. I was reading this online. There's all kinds of Jeopardy websites. So if you're a Jeopardy geek, there's all kinds of places to go. What they were looking for as the answer was Pentecost. The problem is Pentecost is Acts 2.13. So somebody gave the answer of Pentecost and they told them it was wrong. I can't remember. Somebody else said it was the Last Supper, but the Last Supper, if you might remember, happened in the Gospels. The, the, the answer they, had, they were looking for was what is the choosing of the 12th apostle? Well, that happened like that, that, I'm not sure where that happened, but it was, all, it was all kind of mixed up, and they actually gave the guy credit for Pentecost. So it was one of those things where it sounds like they made a real blunder, but the guy who was supposed to win won anyway. So anyway, it's kind of interesting. Last one, this was on religious terms. This was from this year, January 12, 2017. The final Jeopardy question. Unlike newer Bibles, the King James Version usually translates pneuma hagion as this, which can lead to unnerving images. I'm shocked they had this question. I think it would be hard to figure out. What's that? No. Pneuma hagion is actually Greek, which I'm surprised. How would they expect Condesas to know the Greek? Pneuma is breath, spirit. Hagion is ghost, so it's holy ghost. I mean, hagion doesn't mean ghost, it means holy. Holy spirit. But the answer we're looking for is holy spirit ghost because it leads to unnerving images we translated holy spirit the word literally means breath holy holy breath holy spirit so the answer they were looking for was holy ghost i think one out of the three got it white right but that the king james version translates you may have heard people talk about the holy ghost which is what we call the holy spirit so i don't know why they started translating it ghost because it does lead to unnerving images i suppose so here's the point why do we study the Bible? Do we study it so we can win money on Jeopardy? I, I, I often say to people, we don't study the Bible to win on Jeopardy or Trivial Pursuit. The Pharisees would always win if that was the game. Because if the, if the point of studying the Bible was simply to have the right answers and to be able to know which book of the Bible was which and who was Paul and what the Holy Spirit was and when Pentecost happened... You might know, and I know, people who could get all these questions right. But their life is not the kind of life that Jesus talked about that would be full of the life and love that comes from God. So the challenge is then, okay, so why do we study the Bible? Because if we don't study just to know knowledge, why do we study it? 
What's the point? Because we're not just trying to win at multiple choice tests. We don't want to dominate trivial pursuit Bible category. That's not the point. We've been doing a series here, and I'll explain with doing a series here called Change. And the A in change is the Greek letter delta. And it's, I'm just subtitling it, spiritual habits that enable us to become the life-giving people Jesus knows we can be. And so we've been talking about how do we become, go to the next slide, the kind of people that do these kind of things naturally. Because this is what Jesus said we could do. And just because you give your life to Christ doesn't mean automatically these are automatic for you. It's because we grow our souls, we cooperate with the God's, God's work in us, and we grow ourselves and allow ourselves to have a greater capacity for the Holy Spirit because this is, this is what we're supposed to be doing, but not out of duty or obligation, out of it's part of who we are. So go to the next slide. So here's what we're talking about this week. We're talking about the spiritual habit of listening to God through the Bible. Again, the point of the Bible, and this is what Jesus kept railing on the Pharisees about. Basically, he was saying, you guys can win in jeopardy, but you don't know the Father. You know all the right answers, the right doctrines. You can find the Bible verses wherever you want. I mean, they, they were experts. You would not want to compete against them in a Bible quizzing game. But he says, but you're like whitewashed tombs and you're dead inside. So there's something they're missing that's easy for us to miss. If we, if, we don't, if we don't ever put ourselves in with the Pharisees, then we're not being honest because we can be that way. That's human nature. So the point is, Jesus was saying, it's not just about studying the details of the Bible and knowing the Bible. It's about how God speaks through the Bible. Because it's the speaking voice of God. The Word of God is God's speaking voice. It's not a dead document of facts and figures to be memorized and to compete and win money. It's an account, it's multiple accounts of how God interacts in conversational relationship with human beings. And it gives for us then a model of how God wants to be that with us. So the point is, I get one of the things I'll say to start with, go to the next slide. The whole point of spiritual habits is to develop con conversational friendship with God. Whether it's fasting, studying the Bible, praying. Uh, last week we talked about solitude. All those things, they're habits that if the whole point of those habits, if you think the whole point is I'm doing all these spiritual things, therefore God must think I'm good or I'm winning points and I'm appeasing God and therefore I should you know, get it, be able to marry the girl I want to or pass the test I want to because God, I'm, getting, I'm earning points. That's not the point of why we do spiritual habits. That's what the Pharisees thought. They were earning points and in their mind earning favor before people, but God didn't care. The whole point of spiritual habits, why we study the Bible, why we pray, why we fast, why we time, take time to solitude, is we're doing the very thing that God wants, is he wants to have a conversational friendship with us. Talking and listening to God. And whenever we talk about hearing from God, listening to God, for some people, understandably so, some alarms go off because it's like, oh, so you're hearing voices now. Or, you know... I see dead people, whatever that movie was. or You know, all those things of, okay, that, that's kind of weird to say God told me this. Or I feel like God wants me to do this. For some people, it's weird because it's, it can be abused. But just because something can be abused doesn't mean we don't go there. Because the whole point of the Bible is learning how to hear and respond to God. So 
We're talking about today about the habit of listening and how, what does that look like and how do you hear the voice of God. So to do that, we're going to look at a passage from the book of 1 Samuel, Old Testament passage. So this event would have taken place about 3,000 years ago. And let me just give you a little context before I read the passage. But again, the whole point is, how do you as individual people, normal, ordinary people, how do we learn to recognize God's voice throughout the day, throughout the weeks, throughout the months, throughout the years of our lives? And how do we become those kind of people? So Samuel, uh, long story short, his mother was Hannah. Hannah couldn't get pregnant. She prayed and prayed and prayed and begged God for a child. She finally has a child. She tells God, if I can get pregnant, I'll give him over to you. So she has a boy, Samuel, and she dedicates him to the use of God, which in those days often in the temple, uh, the priests would have helpers, I guess you could call them. And often they were young, young people, 10, 12, 13, 14, 15 years old, who basically were helping around. They were the helpers. So the priest in that particular time, his name was Eli. He was the priest. And he slept near in, you know, next to the temple or whatever. And Samuel lived at the temple, and he was kind of his helper. Eli was blind at that time. Old man Eli was blind. Samuel was his helper. Samuel stayed there. His mom and dad would come visit him, but that was kind of how they thought about it in those days. Samuel's, so think of Samuel now like probably no more than 12 or 13. So now, and one thing I was reading this week, it was good for me to think through is, and put yourself in Samuel's shoes as I read this passage. So become your 12 or 13-year-old self. Don't go all the way back to kindergarten. Don't go there. Let's go now to 7th or 8th grade. Be that kind of, in, in terms of hearing God, all right? So, so Samuel's sleeping in the temple. Eli sleeps in a couple rooms over, and this is what happens. All right, go. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. Now in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare. People weren't hearing God. And we'll talk about why that was in, later. And visions were quite uncommon. So there wasn't this communication happening between God and people. One night, Eli, who was almost blind by now, had gone to bed. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of God. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. This is the nature of how they lit things. It means it's about 4 o'clock in the morning, give or take an hour. Because the lamp would go out at a certain time. Somebody's job was to relight it. So it's the middle of the night. Eli's sleeping. Samuel's sleeping. What I didn't yet say before is the state of God's people up until this point, it was getting really nasty. E Eli had two sons who were helpers in the temple. They were adult men. And the Bible simply says they were wicked. They would sleep with women in the temple. They would steal from the sacrifices for their own benefit. Even though Eli confronted his sons and said, stop doing this wickedness, they kept doing it. So they disregarded God, they disregarded their own father. So God, you can understand, was not in a warm, fuzzy mood toward what was going on among his people at that time. All right. Suddenly, so 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning, suddenly the Lord called out Samuel. And we don't know, there's no indication from the text whether it's an audible voice or what some might call that still inner voice. We don't know. Yes, Samuel replied. So Sam was in bed. He woke up. Who's to say that Samuel maybe thought he was having a dream? He wasn't sure. He's not sure. Not unlike you and I, when we have this some kind of recurring thought, you're trying to figure out, where did that thought come from? What is it? So he got up and ran to Eli. 
here I am, did you call me? Eli, old man, blind, rolls over, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. So he did. Next. Then the Lord called out again, Samuel. And again Samuel got up and went to Eli, here I am, did you call me? We don't know how much time elapsed, maybe it was a half hour, maybe it was an hour, maybe it was 45 minutes, maybe it was 10 minutes later. Eli probably had fallen back to sleep. Who knows what happened to Samuel? But Eli's like, no, I, I didn't call you, my son. Go back to bed. And if I'm Eli, at this point, I'm getting a little irritated that this kid next door keeps waking me up, all right? I don't know what's going on. Next one. Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he had never heard a message from the Lord before. Might not like some of us in different parts of our lives, or maybe even you now. You might be like, I don't know that God's ever spoken to me. That's okay. There's a next stage of growth for all of us then. So the Lord called a third time, and once more Samuel got up and went to Eli. And as any 13 or 14-year-old boy might be like, here I am. Did you call me? Because he's confused. Then Eli realized it was the Lord who was calling the boy. So he said to Samuel, go, lie down again, and if someone calls again, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Say that line with me. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. One more time. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went back to bed. Next. And the Lord came and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. Now, what's interesting here is he says his name twice. It only happens a handful of times in the Bible, and it's always when God's being clear and intimate with somebody. Um, Abraham, Abraham. Moses, Moses, when he was calling Moses to do something. Saul, Saul, when he was, uh, Saul was converted into Paul. So there's a, it's, it's an intimate way in which God's calling somebody. And now Samuel replies, to the dark? And again, put yourself in the... If he's just replying out loud, well, we don't know if it's out loud either. Speak, your servant is listening. And then says the Lord then talked to Samuel, and we won't go into all the details, but God was basically telling this young boy the, the way in which he was going to judge God's people for the wickedness of Eli and his sons and, the, and all that was going on. So here God's entrusting this message of judgment to this young boy. So let's talk about, let's break this down now, look at the passage a little bit, and talk about how does God speak to us, how do we know, and things like that. So first thing is this, first thing, kind of realization we have to have, one is this, God wants to speak to you personally. There's not a single person here that God doesn't want to speak to you personally, intimately, to you, your name, you. Not, God doesn't just want to speak to general, to the crowd, he wants to speak to you. Because it says he called Samuel, he called him by name. So when God speaks to us, the Bible tells us, he speaks to us. Jesus even said in John chapter 10, I call my sheep by name, and they recognize my voice. So not only do we see it in Samuel, Jesus kind of highlights that. I call them by name. So there's not a single person here that Jesus doesn't want to talk to or God doesn't want to talk to personally. And, and it's... Uh, when we think, you know, it's like 
some, there are some who would say, well, that doesn't happen. God doesn't talk to people personally. But if the nature of a relationship with God, if it's not personal, then it's nothing else. And if you have a personal relationship with somebody, you do talk to them. I mean, I didn't, when I asked my wife to marry me, I didn't give her a book about my life and say, read up on me and, and have, let's have a good marriage. No, we got to know each other personally through conversation. And if that's how human relationships work, it must be a mirror of, or a reflection of how God intends it to work. So God does want to speak to all of us. Does he speak to us all the time, 24-7? Not necessarily, but he does want to speak to everybody here personally. There's not a person here that doesn't want that. Now, one of the things that said before this, before the Lord called Samuel, it said that at this point the God's, the word of the Lord was rare. In the Bible, whenever the God's word is rare, in other words, people aren't hearing from God. Usually, it's because, like in this case, there was distortion happening because of sin in people's lives. Because God's always speaking. So, for example, I don't have my cell phone with me, but there's a difference between having your cell phone and not having any signal and being in a place where you don't have a cell phone where the signals may be there. Because both places, I'm not getting any messages. This place, I'm receptive, but no message is being sent or I can't get it. This place, the messages are being sent, but I don't, have an a- I don't have an avenue to receive it. This is what this is talking about. God wanted to speak, but the people were not receptive, and usually lack of being receptive is because there's sin or brokenness in our lives. God will not speak to you if he doesn't think you're going to listen. God won't speak to you if he doesn't think there's a good chance you're going to obey, if, there's a, if the posture of your heart isn't already toward that. So, but I don't want you to assume then, well, if God's not speaking to me, then I must be in a state of sin. Not, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that is a significant, uh, in the book of Psalms, David actually says, if, if I cherish sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And I think it goes both ways. If I cherish sin in my heart, I won't hear the Lord. That's what was happening when it said the word of the Lord was rare. So that's always one check. If there's something there where you're clearly giving God a kind of a straight arm, then you're not going to hear from God. But again, just because you're not hearing from God doesn't mean you're giving God a straight arm. It may just mean it's simply you're still growing, maturing, learning. All right? So he calls Samuel. God wants to talk to you. Next thing, next point of, there's three and all. You can recognize God's voice. The text says Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he had never heard a, had a message from the Lord before. Jesus said, my sheep recognize my voice. And then you might say, I might say, or I might have said it somewhere in my life, I don't know what God sounds like. I know my wife's voice. I know my kids' voices. They call me on the phone. They don't even have to say who they are, and I can tell who it is. But if I were to, if one of your distant relatives called me and said, hi, it's me, I don't know them. I'd be like, I have no idea who me is. But we know when we have a relationship with people, we learn how to recognize their voice. Jesus said, my sheep recognize my voice. And so what does that look like? Some may, you might be thinking, well, maybe I've had a message from the Lord before, and I don't know that that's what it was, so how do I know? How do I understand that? One of my favorite illustrations of this is uh, there's a, FBI has a technique, or not just FBI, everybody, CIA, whatever, voice print technology. So they can take a recording of, let's say, who they think was Osama bin Laden before he died. 
if they don't know for sure, they can compare it to the recordings that they know where Osama bin Laden. It's called a, a voice reference utterance. And as we know this is our reference point. This is how Osama bin Laden sounds. Therefore, if we have a recording that we think might be him, there's all kinds of computerized ways where they can digitalize the inflection, the tone, the language used, the pace of speech, and they can within 99% confidence say, yes, we know this is, or yes, we know it's not. Voice print technology. But what it takes in order to know that, you have to have a known reference utterance. You have to have what you know is Osama bin Laden or whoever you're trying to track down or whatever movie you've been watching lately, whoever the bad guy is, all right? If you know that's them and have something to compare it to, then when you have something that might be like a test, you, have, you can compare it and know. So in that way, the Bible is our known reference utterance. We know how God speaks. I was reading something once where it talked about somebody said they were hearing from God and it was all about their own experiences and their own feelings and emotions. They, hadn't, they were not comparing it to anything. So, I don't, you know, we don't know what God's inflection or his dialect is. I'm assuming he speaks in southern Indiana hick kind of accent or whatever. I don't know. We don't know, but we do know things about how God... When you think about God interacting with Adam and Eve, Mary, Paul, prophets or whatever, we do know there are certain things that are true about God when he speaks to people, about his inflection, his voice. He often speaks in tones that are uncomfortable. He often speaks in tones that are challenging. He often speaks in tones that are sacrificial. He always speaks in tones that are life-giving. He always speaks in tones that will come from a place of peace inside of you, even though it may be a discomfortable, uncomfortable thing he's asking you to do. And he never speaks with condemnation. He may speak with conviction, but never condemning. So his voice will never say to you, you're a blank, you know, you're, you know, you're a loser or whatever. But we know how when you, if you, if you read the Bible, this is, why, this is why we read the Bible, we read the Bible, we want to see how did God interact with Abraham and Adam and Eve and Mary and the prophet Isaiah and David and Paul in the New Testament. How did he, and you learn and you see how he interacts with those people. So then if God's telling you something, you have some kind of reference point of, I think, I mean, I had somebody tell me one time, a pastor who told me he believed God had told him it was okay to divorce his wife and marry a secretary. This was not in this town, it was in another town. And I said, that's not possible because that's not congruent with the way God deals with people in the Bible. He's never told people, oh, I had one law, we're going to scratch that off the books right now to let you have an exemption. exemption. So it's easy to start doing that kind of stuff. I'm not saying you would do that or I would do that, but it's easy to, but he was like, no, I'm sure God told me that. And I was like, no, there, you can't, that's why we, that's why the Bible's there. It gives us a reference point to how God speaks to us. So uh, when we look at, in Samuel's case, again, we don't know whether it was an audible voice. I think we can assume here it may not have been because often in the Bible you get a sense that it was audible or you get a sense that there was an angel standing nearby saying it. And those are some of the dramatic kind of supernatural ways God speaks, which is usually not the norm for most people. But Samuel knew something was happening. So I don't know, if, one, one writer I read, which I think is a good way to describe it, they talked about recurring thoughts. If you have this recurring thought that you're like, I, I don't know where that came from, but I can't get it out of my head. I can't shake it off the Etch-A-Sketch. 
sometimes that may be God. Or if a thought comes to you about doing something that you think, well, that seems kind of random. Why would I do that? But if it's life-giving, if it's stretching, if it's uncomfortable, if it's challenging, and it can only be accomplished if God steps in, then maybe it's God. So we learn to recognize God by, we, by understanding how he deals with people in the Bible. So the last thing that was important in this passage, that Eli, at least among other flaws of Eli the priest, and he had wicked sons, and Eli didn't always take care of things he was taking care of, he did recognize what was going on, and he said to Samuel, next time that happens, invite God to speak to you. Next time that happens, invite God to speak to you. Because God will speak, but there is something to be said about me inviting God to speak to me because there's a certain level of seeking. I'm, I'm gonna, maybe I'm going to be a little more in tune listening-wise. If I'm wanting to hear from one of my kids or my wife who's upstairs or downstairs, and I yell downstairs, Kathy, where are you? I'm, a little more in t- I'm, I'm waiting for a response, so I'm a little more in tune to hear yelling at me. I mean, not yelling at me in a bad way. I don't mean that. You know what I mean? So, so if I'm looking for God to speak, I might hear him. And some might then say, yeah, but then you might hear other things too. But let's just trust that God, if you're honestly open to what God wants you to do, let's just trust that God's going to speak to you in a way that you, you know clearly it's him and you know clearly what he's saying. Yes, Satan often mimics God's voice. Yes, somebody might say, well, how do I know they're not my own thoughts? Over time and experience, you kind of understand those things. You talk about it with wise people. You think through it yourself. I mean, I've had times where, like I still remember a time, it's funny because I just saw this lady yesterday, probably 20 years ago. I remember a time where God wanted me to give somebody randomly $50. I, I just felt like God was, and I, it was kind of a little test. I thought, I think God wants me to do this and carried around a $50 bill. And I was just going to wait for God to tell me who to give it to. I'm not doing that now, so don't ask me for $50. I don't have it, all right? But I remember driving around, and I went to get my oil changed. And what's funny is the lady was working there yesterday, the same oil change place. We got oil change. She's much older now, but even 20 years ago, I remember thinking she kind of had a weary look about her, tired look. And as I drove away, I clearly, clearly felt like God was saying to me, in kind of this thought that came from nowhere, I felt like God was saying to me, go back there and give her that $50. Let me just highlight, too, I'm just saying this. She wasn't, like, good-looking. I wasn't trying to get her attention. She was anything but that. So I knew, okay, this is not me generating a thought of being around somebody I want to be around. She looked unhappy, weary, and haggard. So I'm not, it's not somebody you would naturally, I would naturally think, let's go hang out with this person. And I remember I drove around for a while because I thought, this is stupid. This is weird, God. But the whole time, I kind of felt energized by the idea of going in there and doing this. So again, I, sometimes that becomes kind of a test for God, for me at least. If I'm energized by the idea, even though it scares me or seems stupid or weird, and if I know in the end it's life-giving for somebody else, that's probably God. So I thought, well, even if it's not God, what's the, what's the loss? Other than $50 to me, I've encouraged somebody, right? So sometimes if you, those kind of things, if you think God wants you to do something... If, even if you do it and it's not God, if it's a beneficial thing to somebody else, then do it. That's the way you find out. I mean, I drove around, I drove around, I drove around, finally went in there and I just told the lady, I said, this, this, sounds, this sounds weird. I'm not a weird person. 
So I was concerned about her thinking I was a weird person. I said, but I think God wants you to give this, me to give this to you, and he wants you to know that he's thinking about you and he loves you. And I gave it to her, and I kind of sprinted out of there because I thought, she's going to call the police or something. I don't know what she's going to do. But I remember driving around afterwards, and I was just kind of elated. Because I thought, I'll, I'll do whatever you want me to do, God. This is, this is fun. And you might think, you just gave $50 away. That's fun. It was fun. And there's other things God's asked me to do. And again, you could, we could probably have stories here too. One time I felt like God was telling me to go talk to somebody and reconcile, and I didn't really want to. I didn't like this person. I didn't want to reconcile with them. They were kind of a jerk anyway. But I did it. And so the, those are the kind of things, if you ask God to speak to you, be ready to hear something. And it's not, it's not always going to be, it's not, if, if you're looking for something to be painful, it's not going to be painful. It's going to be life-giving. So here's the, here's the challenge of the day is simply this. Practice listening. Practice listening. And you might, maybe you have a recurring thought this week of, something that's relational, reconcile a relationship, have a conversation. Maybe it's just send an encouraging note to somebody. Maybe it has to do with your money. Maybe it has to do with your neighbor. Maybe it has to do with a family member. I don't know. Maybe it has to do with something you think God wants you to start doing that gives of yourself to bring life to others, some kind of a ministry idea that you really think, I think this is God. And if it's a recurring thought, and if, like I said, if you can't shake it off the etch-a-sketch, one of my tests is often to say to God, God, I don't know if this is you or not, but if it's not from you, just wipe it out of my, get it off my screen. But it's, if it's from you, I don't want to forget it. So tomorrow when I wake up, if I'm still thinking about this, I'm assuming it's you. Of course God wants us to, wants us to respond to him, so he's not going to play a game with us. So I'm going to just challenge you this week to invite God to speak to you, even if it's a small thing. Be ready to listen to something and do something you wouldn't normally do, except for you think this might be the voice of God to you. Because you, you look at the stories of the Bible, Abraham, Virgin Mary, prophets, Paul, who became Saul, Every movement that brought life to people and freedom and hope was God telling a human being, an un, unexpected human being, somebody who wasn't abnormal, they were an ordinary person like all of us, God asked them to do something and the world changed. So don't, don't ever think, well, that's not me, or don't ever think, well, you know, those things happen in the Bible, but not now. Why in the world would God give us a Bible, a book, of all these supernatural interactions we have with ordinary people, and then tell us, oh, by the way, it's not going to happen to you? That's just for past reference. Why would he do He's not going to do this. He's going to say, this is how I deal with people. This is how, you know, the people God spoke to in the Bible, none of them were superstars spiritually before he spoke to them. They're in the Hall of Fame now because they responded to him. So listen to what God says to you. I'll finish with this passage. This is Jesus in John chapter 10. The gatekeeper opens the gate. He's talking about himself. And the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. So again, you can recognize the voice of Jesus, the voice of God. He calls his own sheep by name. He's personal. 
and he leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. So it sounds like Jesus is saying that's normal. It's normal that we respond to his voice. Next passage, and then a couple of verses later in John 10, he says, A thief's purpose is still kill, still steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. My purpose in my sheep knowing my voice and me speaking to them and they following me is to give them a rich and satisfying life. It's not to condemn you. It's not to push you into the ground. It's not to make you think, oh no, God's going to ask me to go to Africa and be a missionary in the middle of the desert. He's wanting to give you a rich and satisfying life. And then he says, I am the good shepherd and I sacrifice my life for the sheep. All this is in the passage where he talks about him speaking and then he says this thing, I'm the good shepherd, I sacrifice my life for the sheep. That's when we talk about communion, it's I sacrifice my life for the sheep. So when Jesus, even when he, when the night he was betrayed, when he's talking about giving his life for the disciples, they had no idea what he's talking about. But he said, this is my body, this is my blood, broken and shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And who's to say that maybe one of the things he wanted us, them to remember was, remember what I said back then that we now know as John 10. Remember I said that you'll, you'll recognize my voice. You'll hear me. You'll follow me. I'm going to speak to you. So here's how we do it at Community Act. We do it every week at Exodus. Uh, we take um, Aaron and the band is going to come up. We're going to sing a few more songs. And as soon as we start singing, you're welcome to come up. We offer you the bread, just like Jesus offered the bread to his disciples. He says, this is my body broken for you. Then we're offering you the cup. And you take the bread, and it's, it's this Sunday we have the wafer. So again, if you have a more formal church or liturgical church, liturgical church background, you might be used to the wafers. The wafer, and you just dip it in the cup. But as you take this into your body, I'm going to ask you even just to yourself, quite not out loud, just in your head, I want you to, some variation of speak, Lord, I'm listening. I, I want more of you inside of me. Speak, Lord, I'm listening. You don't need to say it out loud, but I want that to be the invitation of when you're taking in the body of Christ. In the book of Hebrews tells us that he opens up this whole new and living way for us. The new and living way is we can have life-giving friendship and conversation with God. That's the new living way. It's not we can become more religious or more moral people. It's we can have life-giving relationship with God. So let me pray. Aaron, come on up, and then we'll sing in a second. God, we... Uh, Jesus, we're grateful that you gave your body and your blood for us. We're grateful that you gave yourself to torture and to death, and then God raised you from the dead. And in doing so, you removed, you, God, you, Jesus, removed the wall that separated us from conversational relationship with God himself. And you removed that. And now we can have that kind of friendship with God. We can have life-giving conversation with God. We can become life-giving people at God's direction. So Jesus, we're grateful that you opened up this whole new and living way for us. And we take this bread and this cup into our bodies as an invitation to you to speak, Lord Jesus. We're listening. And we ask this all, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So uh, we'll sing. Come on up as soon as we start singing.